It's a great joy to be here with you all and look forward to the study here in Romans 10. So if you have your Bibles there, handy, open them up to Romans chapter 10. We are going to be studying verses 14 through 17 here this morning. Let's give attention to this passage. I'll read it, and I'd like to pray, then we will get into our study. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Gracious Father, open our ears to hear, Lord. May we see you, exalt you this morning, because we know you more because we have agreed with what your word says that you're worthy. And we will give you the praise, the worship, the glory, the honor in advance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Israel has historically not valued good preaching. Historically, Israel has closed her ears to much of the preaching that has been sent her way. America is not far behind. We barely tolerate 15 or 20 minutes of preaching today. On the average, that's about on the average how long preachers preach for. Now that's just the time side of things. We don't even know what they say. In, those, in that short amount of time. Most preaching is nothing more than talks or counseling or some kind of help session, you know? Often today you can see preachers sitting on bar stools with their hands in their pocket, coolly recline back in chairs, as though they are the grandfather, just hanging out with you. Just kind of relating with you. Chilling with you, if you will, as the vernacular of the day says. That's what preaching has become. Very artsy that way. Very, um, shall we say, palatable. Able to really uh, get you to relax. But I got to say, that's not what you see when you read the Bible. In a sense, when you come to hear preaching, it should be the most unrelaxed experience. It should be very uncomfortable, it should be hard, it should be difficult. Not because the words are too hard to understand, but because actually you do get it. 
and you don't like it. Your heart has been assaulted. Your will has been crushed. Your mind has been kind of thrown for loops because it just goes against the grain of what you think. Your words have been kind of really be shown exposed for what they are. And your beliefs, your philosophies have been just really uh, attacked. So that you're left here saying to yourself, either I change or I must leave this place for good. That should be our experience every week. Nothing more than suggestions today or encouragement. That is not what preaching was meant to be. Charles Spurgeon once said, If there be a place under heaven more holy than another, it is the pulpit whence the gospel is preached. Martin Luther, the pulpit is the throne for the word of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the work of preaching is the highest and the greatest and the most glorious calling to which anyone can be called. John Calvin, every time the gospel is preached, it is as if God himself came in person solemnly to summon us. And Brian Edwards said this, preaching is God in action. It is his chosen method and therefore that which he will honor more than any other. Those men understood what preaching is all about, the significance, and they understood what the Bible was saying regarding preaching. They got it. It became clear to them. They read the Bible from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, and they came to those conclusions. That wasn't something that they thought on their own. They were informed by that kind of thinking from God himself. Because that's exactly what we come to in our text this morning. Those were all statements from dead preachers long ago. And basically what they said was, take away preaching and you take away God from the people. You take away power, real power, saving power, transforming power. You take away the window to heaven. And that's huge, beloved. So we have to elevate preaching in our mind. And I don't want to do it by my flowery speech. I don't really have a whole lot of that. I want to do it by just giving your attention to this text that we have. Now that's huge, but I also want you to hear this. Listen. That's also what's so tragic with Israel's history. God sent her incredible spirit-filled preachers. And you know what she did? She ignored them. She mocked them. She complained and refused their preaching. And when God sent a good one, they closed their ears. Literally, 
they close their ears at times. I still can see the picture. It's in my mind of Stephen and his preaching. I remember what they did. They literally closed their ears. They gnashed their teeth. They rushed upon him after preaching a very short sermon. I'm sure he had more to say. They wouldn't let him finish. And he came, and they came with stones, and they killed him. We can't get the guy to shut up. Let's, let's just kill him. And of course, God is more powerful than our life. And so Stephen preaches to this day. And his blood speaks as Abel's blood speaks today. Because a young man named Saul, who would change his name to Paul, was there witnessing the whole matter and understood the value of preaching. When bad ones came to Israel preaching their messages, they gobbled up their preaching like candy. Jeremiah 23, verse 16, God told them, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. In other words, you guys have picked the bad ones. You didn't do well. You need a different committee, you know, to searching for a pulpit committee. You, you didn't do too well. You got the bad ones in there. And then verse 18, Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? In other words, show me the man who really wants to hear the preacher that I've sent. You guys want these guys, but I want to know who wants the guy that I've sent. He says, who has given heed to his word and listened? I sent the preachers like Jeremiah, the Lord says, and they don't heed. They don't listen. And then verse 21, God says, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. They seem not to be bothered. Their conscience seems not to be bothered by the fact that I didn't send them, and yet they're trying to tell the people peace. When the Lord is saying, there is not peace. What was the result? The result was is that they loved the preaching of the false prophets, but they hated the good preaching, the ones that God sent. And I ask you, and I put before you, is that not different? Is that any different than America today? Who gobbles up sermons from people with such great smiles and such beautiful faces and such speech that is captivating and positive and like hugs. And they're hugging the people all the way to hell. It does us no good. Now by studying Romans, we're really studying two things. We're studying the gospel, and we're studying Israel. You say, well, I just want to study the gospel. Well, you can't just pick and choose. You have to study what Paul's laid out. That's how he's laid it out. He's laid out the gospel, and he's telling us about Israel. And they're very interwoven together. And the reason, as I've shared with you before, 
is because God has revealed himself through Israel. Israel first received the gospel. And let me tell you something. If you think the gospel is just New Testament, then you've missed the whole entirety of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is filled with the gospel. It's just the clarity of the gospel became more so when Christ came, right? Now we understood the whole idea of the sacrifices. Now we understood the whole idea of the temple. Now we understood all of that stuff, which was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now why Israel? Even deeper here, let's go deeper, because God chose Israel. And watch this, why did God choose Israel? Well, I'll let uh, John MacArthur give you his reasons, because I, I, I agree with them. They're, they're very good. I couldn't, I couldn't um, improve on these. Listen to this. He says, first, God chose Israel, first, to witness to the unity of God. So if you search throughout the Old Testament, you could pick out three reasons why he chose Israel. You, you know in Deuteronomy, it says, I chose you. In Hosea, I chose you. Amos, I chose you, right? My elect, Israel, my elect. Three reasons why, and the first one is, to witness to the unity of God. Remember Deuteronomy 6.4? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is what? One. And so Israel was to witness, to tell others that God is one. To let everybody know, that all the pagan nations know, first of all, you have too many, right? Secondly, even if you were to narrow it down to one, it's still the wrong one. You've got to come before the God, the creator God who made all things and has revealed himself to us through his holy word. Secondly, God chose Israel not only to witness to that, but to preserve and transmit the scripture. Now you remember earlier in Romans 3, 2, it says that, that Israel, the Jew, has, a, has an advantage. It's great, he says, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. In other words, they were given God's word. What were they to do with God's word? Preserve it. Transmit it. Keep it going. Hang on to it. What, it is, what does it say in Deuteronomy? Keep it close to your lips. Put it on your doorposts. Tell your children about it. Pass it on. Generation to generation. Make sure that they know the word, right? Thirdly, to be a channel, excuse me, to be the channel for the Messiah. Israel was to be the channel for the Messiah. Both in helping the people anticipate his coming, and then to pronounce it and announce it when he came. He's here. And to tell everybody about it and let the nations know. Messiah, the Messiah is here. And you know, beloved, being a channel for the Messiah, therefore, included what? Preaching. 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 And I think we talked about this last week. One of the greatest illustrations of this very thing is the, is the whole story of Jonah. Who was the preacher whom God sent, and he sent to the Gentiles and the people, especially Jonah. Jonah just, he basically typified all of Israel. They hated it. Couldn't stand seeing Gentiles get saved. 
God sent Jeremiah, they threw him into a pit. Shut that guy up, right? He talks too much. He says things we don't like hearing. Too negative. God sent Isaiah, and they sawed him in half. God sent Ezekiel, and they thought he was weird. God sent Daniel, and what do they do with him? Well, many things, but one of the things they did is they threw him into the lions, right? God sent John the Baptist, and they cut off his head. God sent his son, the greatest preacher that ever lived, and they murdered him in a most mocking, grotesque way. Absolutely, with Israel, no place for preaching. And yet God chose her to be this channel for the Messiah. Why didn't Israel believe? Why is it that she didn't believe? Here comes the gospel. Why didn't she believe? Real simply, we said this last week, because she loved her sin more. Because she had a greater desire for sin than she had for this gospel message, for this preaching. Do you know that's why people don't like to hear preaching? Because they desire their sin more? That's why. And if you've ever wondered why you yourself go... Why is it so hard to come and listen to the preacher preach his preaching? It is because you have a greater desire for, for your sin more. And this is also the reason why, let me take, put another shade to it. This is also the reason why the person who actually desires true preaching and goes somewhere and doesn't hear it, it's why it's difficult to be under that too. Because you understand that Preaching is meant to help you detach yourself from that love for sin. And when the preacher doesn't do that, it's hard for you, isn't it? Because you're saying to yourself, yeah, but I, I, need, I need something that's going to assault my will. I need something that's going to really get in me and show me what I need to repent of. So here's God's chosen, and she rejects the gospel that Paul gave. What, what do you do with Israel? I mean, what does this say about the gospel? And that's where we're at. And Jesus already told us in Matthew 13. One of the most uh, quoted uh, New Testament passages, excuse me, one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament is Isaiah 6 9. Jesus quotes it there in Matthew 13. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, don't most people have ears? Yeah, I mean, so is that what he's talking about? No, he's talking about ears that hear what? Preaching, okay? They don't have that. So verse 10, the disciples ask, well, why do you speak in parables, Lord? Jesus says, because, and this is the key here, to you, the disciples, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Okay. He says, but to them, the rest of Israel, it has not been granted. So it's, uh, it's not God's plan for them to be saved. Ooh. It's hard, isn't it? You say, well, wait a minute. Well, back to 
Back to Romans 9 now. That's why in verse 13, while seeing, they do not see. Matthew 13, 13. While seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. And then here's the Isaiah 6 quote. Verse 14. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Watch this. Otherwise, they would see with their ears. Excuse me, with their, with their eyes. Hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. He says, this is so hard for me to, to, to really bring it in and to take this in because you're trying to tell me, on the one hand, it's not God's plan to save them, but on the other hand, God's saying that they're, he's holding them responsible for not believing. Yeah. hard, but it's true. And all of this happened because of Adam's sin. Now there are two things then happening with Israel. One, God hasn't granted salvation, but a second, they refuse to hear. They're hard-hearted. They reject the things of God. They're stiff-necked. They're stubborn. And in fact, do you want to know where you really see the climax of all this? I mean, God gave them the Messiah. They closed their hearts to his preaching. And here's the climax. You want to see it? It's right there on the cross. In one of the statements that Jesus made on the cross. Listen to this. Remember what Jesus said here. Luke 23. Father, forgive them for what? They don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. They are... Ignorant. Right there on the cross, he says, Israel is ignorant. And this is what John MacArthur calls self-imposed ignorance, and I agree. And so their love of sin, their refusal to repent, remember that was Jesus' basic message was repent, right? They refused that. That was his, that was his preaching, repent, and they refused that. You don't repent because you desire sin more, right? That's the whole deal there. But that was what made them ignorant. And what Paul is doing is defending the gospel message that called for that repentance, and Israel, God's chosen people, had rejected. Now, what were they ignorant of? Well, first of all, they didn't have an understanding there, verses 1 through 3, of what? Righteousness, right? Back to Romans 10. They didn't get God, and they didn't get themselves. That's where he starts. You don't get righteousness. Here I am trying to tell you that the gospel reveals God's righteousness, but you don't get righteousness. So right there from the very beginning, you don't get how holy God is, you don't get how sinful you are, and therefore you're not saved. They had God way low. And they have themselves way high. And that's always the way it is. God is just a buddy to us. God is somebody who we can, who will, he'll take us in. He couldn't refuse this face, right? Really? God way low, 
themselves with us. Secondly, they didn't have an understanding of Christ. Verse 4. They were trying to uphold the system that Christ came to free them from. And that's always the issue, beloved. We are fighting Christ. That's what the unbelievers do. I say we, but what I mean is the unbeliever fights Christ. Now what did Jesus provide for us? What does it say there in verse 4? An end to law righteousness. In other words, trying to earn your right standing before God. So he came to put an end to that, and the person that comes to Christ is freed from that and can exhale and say, thank you, Lord, right? And then there's a third thing that she was ignorant of, Israel was ignorant of. She didn't have an understanding of faith, verses 4 to 10. And you can really see that in verse 9. That's what saving faith looks like. And then, and then fourthly, she didn't have an understanding of, this was last week's message, mercy. God's mercy, verses 11 to 13. Now watch this. Israel did not get how far-reaching salvation was. She didn't get just how far-reaching God's salvation was. That's that's what God's mercy really is. It's the demonstration of how far-reaching salvation is. That it goes so far that it even saves sinful people like you and me. And to the Jew... He is saying it goes so far that it even saves those Gentiles whom you call the worst of the worst. See? It's far-reaching. And that's why in Ephesians 2.4, when Paul wants to describe salvation, he says, but God, being rich in what? Mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. And he goes on to say, we were dead in our transgressions, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, but it flowed out from his mercy. It's the very first thing he says. Say, why why did Paul bring up mercy? Because in verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2, there in Ephesians, he described the wall that separated Gentiles from Jews, that that wall was broken down by the blood of Christ through his cross, which paid for our salvation in our fellowship and what he was trying to do. Remember it says who he preached peace to those who were far off. See? And what he's trying to tell us is, look, no person can be too far off that can't be reached by the mercy of God. And that's good news, isn't it? Because here you are, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking, nobody has sinned like I have. Nobody has done things like I've done. Nobody's thought thoughts like I have. I mean, if I was to follow them out, I'd be every one of those things there in the the Ten Commandments. From a murderer, to a thief, to an adulterer, a coverter, all of that if I carried out the thoughts of my heart. Physically, that is. And yet, Jesus told us in Matthew 5, if you've thought it, you've just as well as done it. huh? And so here you are, and you might be thinking to yourself, I'm too far gone, man. God can't save me. He can't reach me. Yes, He can. That's the whole point of verses 11 through 13. 
And Paul's point was that God saves by mercy, and he illustrates that mercy by saving anyone who believes, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. And so verse 11, look at it, says, whoever believes in him won't be ashamed. And then verse 12 says, Jesus is the same Lord of all. Notice the word all. By the way, that word whoever, that's the word to underline there to understand the passage. I told you that's, that's a word that was the significant word. All, whoever. Bringing riches for all who call on him. And verse 13 says, whoever calls on Jesus Christ will be saved. And so it's far-reaching. And the Jews stumbled over that part of this message. And they, they just couldn't, couldn't stand that. Couldn't stand the fact that you're including the Gentiles in this deal. Come on, man. Come on. It's a, this is it's an exclusive club. This is for us. Members only, right? And Paul says, no, it's for every, anyone who believes. And what he's going to tell us is this. Guys, it's always been that way. It's always been that way. It's just that you had too high a view of you and too low a view of God. And so what we left off with, with then is this. And you've got to get the flow of, of Paul's thought. If any person calls, if any person cries out for that mercy, calls on Jesus Christ, a call where you, you abandon the self, you abandon you, you come to the end of you, you sell all of you to gain Jesus Christ, that person will be saved. So it's all about this call, see. Now, that's what verses 14 through 17 pick up on. Alright? The call. This call. This crying out. Now, if God is going to open this salvation to all, He has to have a way to get His message out, right? How's He going to do it? Let me put it another way. How can God save the friend or the relative that you've been wanting to see saved? How are they going to become a Christian? You ever pray for them? Can I tell you or, or inform you of how you should pray? Pray that God would send them a preacher. Let me say it a different way. Pray that God would put them in a church where Bible preaching, where preaching is true to the scriptures, true to the, the, the gospel message here, where it is that every Sunday, every Lord's Day. Pray that God would send that person a preacher. And maybe it might be you. Right? How are they going to become a Christian? How can they be a part of all of verses 11 through 13? Well, this is the fifth thing that Israel didn't have an understanding of. She didn't have, she was ignorant, she didn't have an understanding of preaching. Preaching. Now God makes sure that His mercy is applied to is applied to those who will be saved. How? He sends preachers. Understand something. God is faithful to send preachers. Every age has had preachers. 
And you know, the, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, I can say the guy's name right, the Emperor Diocletian, or Diocletian, his aim was to just basically uh, uh, vanquish or, or just destroy Christianity and its preachers. And you know what he did? Killed a lot of Christians. Killed a lot of preachers. But they just kept what? They just kept coming. And that's why I say that Christians, we're a lot like cockroaches. That's what we are. We just, by God's power, by His grace, we just, we get, step, we get stepped on, but we just keep what? Coming. Why? Because of anything, anything great of, of ourselves? No. Because the Lord has ordained that people will be saved through what? Preaching. Now you probably haven't thought of yourself that way, have you? That's all right. So that's really this point. And this is another blind spot for Israel. Didn't have an understanding of preaching. Didn't see the need for it. Loved scribes. Well, she loved scribes. Loved the experts in the law. Loved Pharisees. Loved the debaters. And was always around to let them know, you know, you're getting a little preachy here. Tone that down. Getting a little preachy here. Just give us the law, alright? You don't have to get all preachy with it, right? Love that. But the preaching, she didn't see a need for it. John the Baptist opened his mouth and they killed him. Jesus, uh, they hated him for that too. And so this is another obstacle. And what this passage presents for us are three propositions about preaching that are crucial for us to get in this anti-preaching age that we live in here in America, okay? Now let's look at the first one here in your notes. No one gets saved without a preacher. No one gets saved without a preacher. You say, you can't say that. Because I know about Joe so-and-so, and he got saved by just reading some track. Or this other person got saved, and they were just reading their Bible, and they just got saved. I want you to know that I am not the inventor of the statement that I just made. Okay? I'm just showing you what's here in this text. No one gets saved without a preacher. Now, between verses 14 through 15a, did you notice the string of questions? The whole point of this string is this. God sent preachers. He's the one that sends them. You say, why is that so important to Paul's argument? Because God sent those preachers beyond just Israel. That's his point. Look, guys. It's not just Israel that God has sent preachers to. And Jonah is a great illustration of that, right? And there are others that we could point to, but God has sent the preachers. Now look at verses, uh, these two verses. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they, and how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? 
just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Now follow the logic here. If verses 11 through 13 says that God saves any person as long as they what? Call upon Jesus Christ to save them. Alright, you got that thought? As long as they cry out to God to show mercy through Christ, and God will save you through the work of, of Christ on the cross. If it says that, then how can they, any person, any Israelite, an Israelite, a Gentile, how can they call upon Jesus when they don't believe in Him? Right? They're not going to do that, are they? See the question? There has to be a conviction first, right? Now, you're not going to call on somebody when you're not convicted. You're not going to call on Christ to save you if you're not feeling like, if you don't feel like you need saving, why would you call on Jesus Christ to save you? So there's got to be conviction first. You don't confess, like he says in Romans 10.9. You don't call out unless deep in your heart you believe that Jesus Christ is it, right? Now move on. Look at what it says. How shall they believe in Jesus when they haven't heard him? Now, I'm going to come back to this statement here in a moment. But I, but I just want to, to point out that you can't have conviction if you've never heard a message about Christ, right? You can't have that conviction about him if you've never heard that message. You have to have facts. There has to be facts. There has to be something to believe in. Real basic stuff. I know this is, you're going, well, this is simple logic. It is simple logic. And he's making a point. You have to know why you need to believe in Christ. But would you also notice he doesn't say, in whom they have not heard about. He says, in whom they have not heard In other words, a person gets saved by hearing Christ himself. You say, like his actual voice? No. Christ himself in the heart through the conviction that comes by means of the scripture that the preacher is preaching from. Okay? Okay? Now hang on to that one. I'm going to explain that more in a moment. Next part of the chain though, though. He says, you don't hear a message if you don't have a, a preacher. you got to have one of those. Okay. Pretty simple. And then this, verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are what? Sent. Now, all that preaching in Israel wasn't just drummed up by people who, you know, gathered together and decided that they just needed... Uh, to do that. I mean, Ezekiel never dreamed about getting to be a preacher someday to go and tell Israel she's stubborn and stiff-necked and rebellious and would die in her sins unless she repented. He didn't, she didn't never dream that he was going to be that guy. And I'm pretty sure he wouldn't, vol- wouldn't have volunteered for that. See, Isaiah had to swallow his pride and confess his sins before he cried out, Here I am, Lord, send me. And that was God's plan all along. 
It's the way he does it with preachers. You know, I think we can understand this a little bit. There are all kinds of uh, illustrations that we could use of people that, uh, that accept a commission that has pending danger to it. And you often wonder why. In World War II, just prior to America's getting involved in it, just as we were about to get involved in it, we kind of had the hunch we were going there. and There were people lining up all over the place to sign up to go fight in the war. So much so, many who were declined that opportunity killed themselves. Because they wanted to have the right to defend their country. We want the commission, they said back then. And if, he, and if we don't have it, there's not a whole lot worth living for. Because we believe so much in this country. Now, I appreciate that. But can I tell you there's a higher calling here that we're talking about? This is why guys like Ezekiel and Isaiah and others whom God said, look, look throughout the history. Look today at the history in China. There are people who are accepting the pastorate knowing full well they might have that job for a week or a month because they could be killed for it. See, But they understand the importance of it. Look, people won't get saved without it. We need to do this. And so when you put this whole string together, what you get is this, is that salvation is directly related to divine sending. God sends the preachers. And He's always faithful to do that. Always. Where He wants the preaching at. Let me say it another way. No one gets saved without a preacher. (laughs) What's that mean? It means you can't pray your way to heaven. You can't hear songs and make it in. You don't meditate your way there. You can't entertain your way there. You can't get involved and become a Christian. You don't come along, you know, come, come long enough to church and claim to be a Christian. It doesn't work that way. God has designed salvation to work one way, and it's through preaching. Fired up about this. And that preaching has to be by men sent by God. A holy God. I'll tell you, we got to protect this thing right here. Men who preach clear messages that are from the Bible. And Paul's point here is that God sent preachers to go to all the world so that anyone who believes could be saved. And he's telling Israel, you're rejecting something that's unstoppable. You understand that. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Why do we come to listen to preaching on a Sunday? He says, Because... We are not competent in ourselves to arrive at a true knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. End quote. And he's right. 
we fool ourselves to think, oh, I'm just going to go and open my Bible and, and that's good enough for me. And again, I tell you, anybody who is who thinks that they can sit down and watch television and, and figure out and get church that way, or or anybody who thinks that they're all, oh, you know, oh, that's okay, I'll just, I'll just read extra this week. Or, you know, I'll just press play and that's good enough for me. Really? Really? Can I tell you it's absolutely not good enough for you? And the reason why is because of Romans 10, but I'll give you something practical practical reason why just say to yourself oh, you know pastor toshiba is is that's that's good enough for me right press click you know headphones on all right this is good stuff you know why that doesn't work god has designed it for you to come and hear the preacher because mr toshiba when you press stop he doesn't come around you going hey did you hear that sermon yeah? What about it? Or are you going to obey it? Well, man, that's kind of invasive. Yeah? Are you going to obey it? Okay, well, are you holding me accountable? Yes, I am. I want to know, he said this, what does your life look like in light of what he said? So why are you talking to me about this? Because I care about you. Because I want you to enjoy walking with the Lord and knowing Him. You could look at Luke 24 to get this. Remember the road of Emmaus? They were not understanding. I mean, they were just... They were reading scripture, they weren't understanding, and all of a sudden Christ appears and they didn't realize it. He opens the scriptures and he explains it to them, he preached it to them, and it says their hearts were burning with fire, and they got excited, and they liked what they heard, because it finally, the lights turned on. You can read Acts 8 where it says that the guy was, the Ethiopian eunuch was sitting there reading, and he says, I don't get what I'm reading, and the Lord sent Philip to him. And it says that Philip explained the scripture to him. And all of a sudden, what happened? It says the man rejoiced. He got excited. He got encouraged. There's so many other pastors we can look at. Now here's the support for the statement. God sends preachers. So whoever calls out to Jesus can be saved. Isaiah 52, 7. That's what Paul quotes. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Now, let's be honest. Not a whole lot of feet that are beautiful. Let's just be honest. Let's just say that. He's not talking about feet, really. He's not talking about, the, you know, uh, good-looking feet. Okay? We, there's a reason why we, you know, especially men, we spend a lot of time covering it up. And if you don't, ladies, you, you paint it, and that's all right. There's a reason. He's not talking about that. He's saying the beauty of these feet are that these feet come with mission, come with something important. It's a picture of a man coming from over the mountains with incredible news for the whole town here. And what they come with is news 
of victory. That's the whole idea of this word that's used here, the glad tidings. Notice too, glad tidings, it's all about joy. Glad tidings. Now you remember in Isaiah, what, when, when, that, uh, when that was written, there in Isaiah 52, it was after Isaiah had told them that they were going to be taken captive to Babylon. He, he spent time doing that in chapter, chapter 30. They're going to be taken captive to Babylon. Why? Because you guys have been evil, and God is now going to judge you that way. And so here is Isaiah saying, but joy, but joy is around the corner for you. And that's good stuff. God is going to send someone to announce your release from that captivity. God is going to send someone to tell you that you could go home. Isn't that good? Deliverance is here. Your chains are gone. The war is over. And the messenger is running to give this message. And he's full of joy because the message is a message of what? Joy. There's a, there's a similar imagery taken from the Greeks at this time. Actually, a little, a little bit earlier from this time. Or around this time. Excuse me, later from this time. Isaiah was written in 700. This, this is taken from 490 B.C. There was a Greek runner from the battlefields of Marathon to Athens, as many of you might be familiar with this story, with the amazing news that the Greeks had defeated the Persians, right? And the runner traveled 26 miles uphill. The whole thing was uphill. I don't think that's how you run many marathons these days, I mean, but maybe they're in San Francisco, but, you know, where they have a lot of those, but the whole deal was uphill. And he ran as fast as he could. And as soon as he arrived, he, he announced this, victory! And then he fell dead. He fell dead from that labor. You say, what made him do it? Listen. It was the message. He believed it. It was the message. He was so thrilled to tell these people the message. And that thrill, that joy, that heart throb kept him going until he got there. That's why it is that preachers can stand before people who need this food, who need this water to drink, and can say, believe, though their life is on the line. He was sent with what he believed to be the most important message. Beloved, God is the sender. His message is the gospel. And that should produce joy in the preachers. We have a message that will save your soul if you believe it. In fact, not only does the message bring us joy, the message is joy, isn't it? You know, it's, it, it's the message that all your sins can be forgiven because they've been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. If I, if I told you, if I can prove to you that you're a miserable sinner ready to face God's fiery judgment, wouldn't you be happy to know that you could be freed from that? Wouldn't that be a joyful message to you? You know, joy hinges on, that, on the dark, gloomy message that you're a sinner. Not only that, not only sin's forgiven, but God will count you with His righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ. He'll give it to you. He will, it will be yours, all of it. 
and he doesn't it doesn't come in partial installments. I mean he he it's all yours. You say, what do I have to do to get it? It's been paid for. Who paid for it? Christ. How do you do that? Died on the cross. What do I have to do? Believe in him. What do you have to do? I'll tell you what you have to do. Romans 10, 9. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Believe that God raised him from the dead. You believe in the resurrection. You believe and, and confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord. And the joy is that you are a slave to sin and will die and be judged because of it and you can be set free. You know, your life of sin really is a joy stealer. Have you ever thought of it that way? It's a joy stealer. I mean, there's no real pleasure in sin. Have you noticed that? That when you decide... I'm going to say that it just doesn't last. That pleasure doesn't last. It feel good to really rip that person? It didn't last very long, did it? Now you feel bad, don't you? No real pleasure in sin. doesn't last. God is the sole pleasure in life. He designed everything to find its satisfying pleasure in Him. The gospel then is the news that Jesus Christ died for your joy. That's what it says here. It says, who bring you glad tidings of good things. See, You say, what are the good things? Oh, that's all of what Paul's preached already. Grace and justification and reconciliation and all that. That's good, that's good things. That's why a lot of times you hear me say, that's good stuff. That's where I got it from. It's good. These are good things. This is good stuff. Now that leads us to a problem that stems from preaching. Secondly, all are responsible to believe. All are responsible to believe. It says, however, they did not heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Anyone who calls upon Jesus Christ will be saved. That was, that, that, that was open for Israel too. And here's the message of joy. And Simeon believed it in Luke 2, and he was so happy about it. He was from Israel, and the twelve believed it, and they were filled with joy. And, and Acts 3 says a, a lame man was healed, and then believed it, and was filled with joy. And the openness of such a gospel is mercy, and Israel sees that mercy, and it doesn't move their hearts one bit. You say, is that a problem for God's plan? No, it's not a problem. That's why Paul quotes another verse, Isaiah 53.1. Look at verse 16. However, sure, God sent the preacher with this joyful news, but they did not all, again, underline that word all, they did not all heed the glad tidings. And you know that's kind of an understatement. <laughs> In fact, most didn't heed the, gl- the glad tidings, right? All can be saved, but guess what? All are not. Very few. In other words, nothing wrong with the message. They just didn't believe. What's this mean? You want to know something? You want to know an implication of this? It means from this pulpit and from any preaching that you give, you're going to have more failure than success. Did you know that? There is going to be more... People are not going to heed it. They're not going to listen. You're going to preach, and they're not going to listen. 
you see, you, you ever wonder, it's like, you know, do Mike or I, do our hearts grieve when people come to this church and they sit, and they're here for a while and they just go and they're never to be seen? Doesn't that grieve your heart? Yeah, it does a little bit because of this passage. But on the other hand, our hearts are comforted by this passage because look, not everybody's going to heed it. Not everybody's going to receive it. And we could design this church service to uh, kind of, all right, let's, let's bring out the clouds and let's make this circus-like and let's kind of, you know, let's really make this inviting so that people feel at home. You know, recliner chairs and all that stuff. That would be, you're saying, wow, that would be nice. <laughs> Just a little bit of recliner chair, right? But you know, we could do that. But the goal is not to fill those seats. The goal is to be faithful to do what? Preach the gospel. Preach the word. We know there's going to be failure. But look at the end of this verse. And then I'd like to come back to the first part. Here's a quote from the Old Testament. Lord, who has believed our report? Paul says, the Old Testament predicted that you wouldn't believe the message. The Old Testament predicted that you would not tolerate preaching. That's the word report. means the preaching. And I want to make a tie, too, to Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52, 7 says, Glad tidings came of good things. You say, what was, those, what was the glad tidings? What, what's this report that Isaiah 53, 1 is saying that people are not believing? It's the message that Isaiah 53 gives us. What's that message? The message of Jesus Christ going into the cross. That's Isaiah 53. It's all about how God's suffering servant would come and be bruised for our transgressions and the iniquities of us all would fall on him and God would be pleased to crush him for our sakes and so forth. And it's all about how Jesus Christ would come and die on the cross for our sins. So if you put it together, Paul is saying that that verse of the Old Testament was basically saying there's going to come a time when Messiah will die for you and not many out of Israel will believe the message about the value of his death nor the value of preaching about it. Not many will believe that report, that message, that his death is our life. Not many will want to hear the preaching. Now what was Israel's problem? Same problem for all who don't believe. Look at the first part now, verse 16. They did not all heed the glad tidings. Didn't heed the gospel. You say, what's that mean? What's, What's heed mean? And one of those words we, we probably don't use a whole lot in our vocabulary. Fascinating word. It, it's the word for hear. It, it has the word hear in it. From, from verse, uh, look at verse 14. See the word hear two times? Verse 17, he uses the word hear again a couple times. And it means literally to hear under. To hear under, it's, it's the kind of hearing that takes place, excuse me, that places you under submission to, to, to an authority over you. You line up under that, uh, under that uh, authority over you. The word was used in a military sense. I mean, you lined up under the commander's authority and you carried out all his orders. And Paul is saying that they basically, it's, basically it, it's saying obey. It's the same word as obey. It's a word oftentimes uses obey. They hear with submission. 
Paul is saying they didn't obey the gospel. The message came and they didn't obey it. Now when you combine this with verse 9, you get the picture why they weren't saved. Belief and obedience, beloved, go hand in hand in salvation. He said, but, you, but I thought people aren't saved by works. I thought people aren't saved by obedience. Well, that's not what this is saying. But as, and as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, there is always the element of obedience and true faith. Listen. To obey the gospel, which is what this verse says, is to submit to it. It is to yield to its demands. What are the demands of the gospel? Repentance. Loyalty. Total commitment. Trust. Love for God alone worship, and so forth. It is to believe in Christ. Romans 1, 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, been sent out with this gospel message, Paul says, to bring about the obedience of faith. And then he says, among all the Gentiles, for his name's sake, What's it look like when faith obeys? It turns to Christ and it follows him. Acts 6-7, the word of God kept on spreading, the glad tidings kept going, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. What's that mean? That means the gospel goes out and it says, you must repent. The person that responds is the person who's obedient, right? Okay, I will. How about Romans 6.17? Though you were slaves to sin, you became, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching. There it is. Obedience from the heart to what? That form of teaching. What's that? The gospel. Obedient from the heart to the gospel. The glad tidings of good things. To the gospel call of Romans 10, 9 and 10. Now listen, that obedience is why we use the word responsible. We're not responsible to get saved. We can't save ourselves, right? But we're responsible for not believing. It's a difference. God calls us to obey the gospel and there's no excuse for us not to obey it. You say, what about those people in distant villages that have never heard? What does our text tell us? God is faithful to send preachers to those whom he will save. Period. You say, uh, isn't that going to keep somebody from having passion and fire from going to the villages to preach the gospel there? No. Not at all. It's going to make you be like Isaiah. Send me, Lord. Because if you're telling me that's how you do it, then my going is basically going to guarantee your success, Lord. Your success for doing what you want. 
How about 2 Thessalonians 1.8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Verse 7 says, to those who don't obey the gospel, there's flaming fire of judgment. And verse 9, that it's, it says it's payment for the penalty of eternal destruction away from the Lord. That's what that judgment is for those who do not obey the gospel. And so it's not just a matter of facts saying, do you understand the facts? It's a matter of your will. Have you turned your life in an obedient direction to the gospel? Hebrews 5.9, Jesus became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. That is clear. You say, wait a minute, salvation by obedience? No. Listen, salvation for those who obey the gospel, not the law. That's what he's saying. Obeying the gospel, which is simply to give up you and trust Christ. And all Paul is saying is this. Israel didn't believe and God told us Israel wouldn't believe and that not many will believe when you preach and the real issue is she didn't obey the gospel, the glad tidings. No submission, no surrender, no repentance. So you're saying belief is the issue? Last point, number three. All who hear believe. Now I get to come back to what I said I was going to come back to. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, it's the issue, belief is, but not just any kind of belief. And we learn that in verses 9 and 10. Look at verse 17. Let's bring this to a close here. Summary verse. So faith comes from hearing. Notice what comes first. Where does faith come from? Hearing. You have to hear first. And what's that mean? Alright, I told you in verse 14 their problem was that they didn't hear Christ. Here's the answer. Faith comes from hearing whom? Christ. Not about Christ. Christ. Two types of hearing that exists. That which you hear with your ears, these, and the kind of hearing that happens in the heart. The kind that where God opens your heart to hear the gospel and obey it. This is the reason why we can say obeying the gospel is not a work. How can it be a good work if God's the one that's empowered you for it? Now, the second one is what Paul's talking about here. Galatians 3, 2. And you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? See? That's that kind of hearing that he's talking about here. Hearing with faith. It's, it's like a... You know how that is? You talk to a person and they're, uh, they're nodding at you but it seems like they're not all upstairs, Right? And you say, all right, repeat what I just said. And they repeat it. And you think to yourself, yeah, you did. You passed that test. But I think you don't, you don't really get what I'm trying to tell you, right? That kind of thing. That's a similar deal here. Hearing with the ears, but it goes deeper into the heart. That kind of hearing. Where he says it again in verse 5. 
of Galatians 3, 5. Ephesians 4.20, you learned Christ, he says, verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. Taught what? The gospel. How? God sent a preacher. Then what? Christ's voice spoke to your heart. Then what? You heard him. You were taught. You learned Christ. Your heart learned. Wait a minute. This is all about one person. Life is all about what person? Jesus Christ. That's it. For me to live is Christ. That's it. Paul says, I didn't have to figure that out. This wasn't Rubik's Cube. This was God opening the heart and me hearing. Jesus said, John 10, my sheep hear my voice. They follow him. They hear him. They know him. What do they hear? Verse 17. And hearing by the word of Christ, literally by a message about Christ. When the heart hears the message about Jesus Christ loud and clear and understands that he is calling you to repent and follow him and surrender to his lordship, God will save you. That is what this text teaches. And that's work that only God can do. Now let me conclude here. One last illustration. And it's the illustration of the woman in Acts 16 named Lydia. Paul spoke to a number of women who had assembled there in Philippi. Verse 14, a woman named Lydia was listening. Now that's, that's the first kind of hearing, okay? Ears. Many people come to hear sermons like that. A lot of people hear stuff like that. You know, it's almost like you want to say to a person, now, you just heard that sermon. Did you hear it with these ears, or did you hear it with with these right here? Which were you at this sermon? So that I could know the person I'm talking to, right? Now we should hold each other accountable to know, are we really, really receiving with faith the things that we're hearing? And then it says this, And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now first, there had to be a preacher sent by God, Paul. He went to Philippi. By the way, read the story yourself. He almost didn't go there, did he? Where did he want to go? Opposite direction. Remember? Holy Spirit said, "Uh, uh, Uh-uh-uh, you're going over there. Why? Because there's a group of women. He didn't tell them this. He found it out later. And you're going to preach to them. And by the way, there's one woman named Lydia. And by the time you get to the end of Acts 16, guess what? The whole church is meeting in her home. Why? Because it sounds like she was a woman with wealth who, could ha- who had a big home that could house lots of people to hear the gospel so that the church could be started in Philippi and Paul could send a letter called Philippians so that you and I could learn about Christ. Isn't that incredible? Boy, God is sovereign how he works all of that. There had to be a preacher sent by God, Paul. There had to be a message, a report. And then someone had to hear it. Many women did. And then someone might believe it. Lydia did. And finally it was confirmed how. What's it say? God opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by the preacher. God opened her heart to the preaching. That's how it works, beloved. Now you can understand how tragic it is that Israel didn't believe the report. What excuse does she have? 
God sent preacher, preacher, preacher after preacher. And now Israel has the greatest preacher outside of the Lord Jesus Christ given to her. And she still says no. It's not a whole lot that can be done for her if she won't believe. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your amazing grace and this mercy that we learned about, Lord. Father, forgive us for lowering the bar for preaching. We thank you, dear Father, for sending us preachers to us. And and I think to myself, Lord, just the preachers that you've sent to me in my life and how thankful I am, Lord, that these men work so hard to cut it straight and give me your word, Lord, and my heart, my soul benefits from it. Pray, dear Father, that you would help us to see the value of preaching, Lord, and Father, we pray that we would honor you. May our hearts, Lord, uh, be responsive to it. If, if we're believing, Lord, may we just enjoy you greater today. And if there are those, Lord, that don't know you, may they yield to the preaching of Christ and receive you. Open their hearts, I pray, like you did, Lydia. We thank you, Father, for giving us such a treasure, Lord, from your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would change this church for your glory. In the name of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we will give you the glory in advance. Amen.